Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome back to part two on uh, the acute abdomen, uh, GI manifestations. And I was speaking last time about bowel obstruction, and um, let me speak a little bit about CT enterography. Now, one of the things in terms of the acute abdomen, one of the common applications is inflammatory bowel disease, and Crohn's is particularly well done. CT is very good for looking and detecting Crohn's, but more commonly looking for complications. Things we're looking at are mucosal hyperenhancement, wall thickening. We're looking at mural stratification, where we can see the bowel layer, layers, which typically means mucosal enhancement. We look for the prominent vasorecta, the so-called comb sign. And we look for secondary findings, including mesenteric fat stranding. And here's just a beautiful example of the prominent vasculature you see in abnormal zones of bowel with Crohn's disease. You see it particularly well with MIP imaging, though also with volume rendering. Uh, you can see many things. We can see enteroliths, and you can see in this case focally dilated bowel and areas of stricture. Very nicely seen enteroliths, very commonly proximal to strictures, which you very nicely can see there. You can see the stricture and the hyperenhancement of the mucosa, both in the coronal views, but especially nicely seen in the volume rendered views. We look and can see complications. Muscle complications, like in this case, is psoas and iliopsoas abscess, very nicely seen with some increased enhancement near the periphery of the abscess period. We look for obstruction and can often find it, as in this case, with dilated loops of bowel. And then we follow it down looking for the transition. And you can see very nicely as we get to the distal small bowel, there's a long segment of narrowed bowel. It's enhancing, it's inflamed. This is the transition point. Interestingly, in this case, the patient had this resected, and this was actually a carcinoma in a zone of Crohn's disease. Crohn's patients, patients with things like a sprue or celiac disease have an increased incidence of carcinoma. You can see from this case there was no reason we or the surgeon suspected carcinoma, but sometimes it occurs and it's very subtle changes within the bowel. Uh, CT uh, has been shown to be cost-effective, and again there is the issue with radiation, and you want to try to minimize radiation, and perhaps in many cases MR can be done, but the European Crohn's and Colitis Organization does say that CT enterography is the highest accuracy study. It has more than an 80% sensitivity of specificity for detecting small bowel segments affected by Crohn's. They also make the point about using multiplanar reconstruction with thin sections and isovoxyl resolution. And when compared with ileoscopy, uh, its sensitivity and specificity was approaching 92 and 100% respectively for detection of stenosis. Now, in the acute abdomen, when we think about obstruction, I always like to mention SMA syndrome. It's something we don't think about very commonly. It's when the angle between the SMA and the aorta decreases. It's most common in patients with marked weight loss, anorexia, which also is weight loss, and total body casting, where normally the angle of the SMA to the aorta, as you can see on the left, is about 45 degrees. This is under 25, but typically under 10. The distance between the aorta and the SMA also was decreased. And you have a typical scenario like this. Patient has nausea and vomiting. Patient's in their 20s. You suspect gastric outlet obstruction, maybe an ulcer. You see a lot of food in the stomach. 
So the stomach is dilated, but you also notice it's the antrum, and you also notice the duodenum is dilated. And you follow the dilated duodenum to the SMA, and as you can see, that's where the obstruction is. Look at the axials. Look how the uh, duodenum is pinched, because the distance between the SMA and the aorta is markedly decreased. Very nicely shown on the coronal view. But when you're looking for that angle decrease, it's really a sagittal diagnosis. Look how narrow that angle is. You also can see the left renal vein, which cuts through the space, is flattened, the so-called nutcracker phenomena. Another example, nausea and vomiting. Here is the stomach distended. But look at the duodenum, and you can follow the duodenum around to the level of the SMA. And you can see how there's a transition there. Very nice example of SMA syndrome with the SMA compressing and causing obstruction of the duodenum uh, near the third and fourth portions of the duodenum. And again, in this patient, you also in 3D imaging very nicely see the uh, narrowed angle and narrow distance. Now, another very important thing that really we're doing a lot more of now in the acute setting is patients with suspected GI bleeding. We talk about GI bleeding, upper GI bleeding, proximal to the ligament of trites, which is about 70% of bleeds, and lower GI bleeding, distal to the ligament of trites. And what we'll speak about is the lower GI bleeds, distal to the ligament of trites. There are a number of causes, angiodysplasia being number one, but tumors, meckles, vascular dysplasias are all things we will consider. If you look at this series of articles over the past seven or eight years, we go from Yoon talking about arterial phase MDCT is accurate for localization in patients with acute massive GI bleeding, makes the point that the site of contrast material extravasation corresponds to bleeding on angiograms, and in his experience had an accuracy of 100%. An article from Hopkins and Stanford talks about the role of 64 slice CT, new application detecting and mapping relative vascular anatomy and detecting the sites of bleed. Steiner went a bit further. He made the point that when you look at coronal views, uh, in addition to MIP imaging, you're able to detect the smallest of bleeds, you're able to detect complications, you're able to detect pseudoaneurysms, and that he made the point that from an interventional radiologist, this is a very important tool because it's the primary tool. You shouldn't go straight to angio, you should get CT. If the CT is negative, there's no sense doing an angio. CT detects bleeding earlier than an angio. Now, one of the things, and one of the reasons things can be missed is looking at the images. Things can be subtle. You look at the patient's proximal bowel and you say, well, is there a bleed present? What are those high-density areas I've circled here? Is that of any value? This was read as negative initially, but there it is coronal. You can see them again. What is that? What are we dealing with? But look what happens when you go from those coronals to MIP. Now look how bright those sites of bleeding are. This was angiodysplasia, this was resected, but look how obvious it is for something that wasn't so obvious. There it is in the coronal versus the MIP. So MIP becomes very critical. And so when you look at this tiny bleed in this patient's in the small bowel, that's the bleed, that's the cause for the patient's GI bleeding. Or the small tumor in the proximal jejunum, that was a gist tumor. 
we think of just as large a masses, but that's because we pick them up when they're larger. Here it's only two centimeters. You can see it's enhancing a bit. Look how nicely it's exophytic. That's the cause of the patient's GI bleeding. Now, GIST tumors, we've seen a number of them, these smaller lesions, they're often very vascular. Look at this example, beautiful GIST tumor in the jejunum. Look how bright it is. That was the cause of the patient's GI bleeding. The truth is, I read this case, I thought it was a carcinoid. Again, either way, that's going to be resected. But you can see the brightness. So you think of bright lesions, we think about carcinoid. But you also have to think of GIST. It's not always that bright, but it can be. Well, what about this patient? It looks like contrast in the bowel, but the patient was given no oral contrast. And when you look at the sequence, you can see that what you're looking at is an active bleed uh, in the ileum. And again, look at the sequence of images. When you compare things, you can see that it's an active bleed. We talk about using cameras for detecting GI bleeding, as in this case. But cameras, at best, are 60% accurate. If there's a stricture, they can be obstructed. And when you look carefully at this case in fluid-filled right colon, look at that tubular structure in the right lower quadrant that seems to be just a bowel loop. But when you look at it carefully, it's really going nowhere. Look at the coronal views. Then you notice something more solid and more high density in it. And you say, what is it exactly I'm looking at? And when you narrow the window, you can see that it's enhancing. And this was a Meckel's diverticulum. So Meckel's diverticulum has a positive Meckel scan. It's usually a cause of GI bleeding in pediatric patients, but it can be older patients. It's a difficult diagnosis. Satomi Kawamoto at RSA in 2013 had a terrific exhibit on the subject, but it really is a challenge. Meckel's always interesting. Most common congenital anomaly of the GI tract, up to 2% of patients, within 60 centimeters of ileocecal valve, and it's about 6 centimeters in length. They may contain, more than half of them contain ectopic gastric mucosa, and that's the cause of GI bleeding. And that's also why when we do the technesium protechnicate scan, the scans can be positive. Now, the uh, facts are numerous in addition to this. You can't have false positive studies with technesium because of interception, Crohn's, AV malformations, and the like. So it's not a perfect study, and you can have false negative studies. But CT is really good. Now, when we look at ectopic mucosa in Meckel's, we mentioned about half of the patients will have this, but not always. Heterotopic mucosa are frequently found in symptomatic patients, which makes some sense. And up to 90% of Meckel's patients with hemorrhage contain heterotopic mucosa. So again, it's a little bit on the presentation and on the population. When we speak about Meckles, I don't want to do a long uh, discussion on Meckles now, but it's an interesting topic because it's easy to miss. Most patients are symptomatic early, but it can occur later. Hemorrhage, bowel obstruction, perforation are all common things. Um, very interesting. Now, another thing that I want to mention about GI bleeding is the literature typically says do non-contrast and arterial. The reason you do a non-contrast, and it makes some sense, what of this high-density material in the bowel, and you can confuse it with a bleed? Well, that's true, but 
what I find is that sometimes bleeds are seen arterially and sometimes they're seen in the venous phase. The best thing to do is arterial venous. Now you can say, well, let's do non-contrast also, but I'm trying to minimize radiation. Now the one thing I've noticed, and I'll show you some examples, is that from arterial to venous, which is 30 seconds, the shape of a bleed will change. If it would be foreign matter and bowel, it would look the same. So look at this case. This was missed initially. GI bleeding, this was due to diverticulitis. Look at the left colon, and I've circled it. You see that little bright area? I think it was just probably thought to be, you know, contrast maybe, bowel content. And you look at a coronal, ah, something there, but I guess you can walk by it. That's 30 seconds post-injection, arterial phase. Here's 60 seconds. Look how much more obvious it is on the axial or on the coronal display. Look how obvious that bleed is. And here it is, two more images, coronal and sagittal. So I like to do as I'm trying to minimize the dose, but I want two phases. Give me arterial and venous. Some bleeds are best seen arterial, some best in venous. Some are seen in both. But you can see in this case, it's subtle early, but it's very obvious late. Another example, you see that GI bleed there? I think active diverticular bleeding, nicely shown. You can see the, uh, the uh, feeding vessel going right into it. Here it is again on MIP imaging. Uh, but here it is, not 30 seconds, but 60 seconds post-injection. And now you can see the amount of blush and bleeding present has increased. Classic active GI bleed. Martiri makes the point, CT angio performed in the emergency setting in patients with acute lower intestinal bleeding is feasible and correctly detects the presence and location of hemorrhage as well as potential causes. Look at their numbers, 98% accuracy. And made the point that rather restricting it, rather than restricting it to cases when colonoscopy fails, why don't you do CTA first? And across a range of pathologies, this patient has trauma. Look at that active bleed. And we have shown uh, more recently in an article by Shiva Rahman that CT is excellent for looking at GI bleeding. And the important thing is on the lower bleeds, you need to look at the 3D mapping with CTA because here's a patient where you see uh, colitis and prominent rectal enhancement but look how much more impressive it is when you're doing the sagittal MIP views. Look at the prominent feeding vessels of the epigastric vessels and the perirectal vessels, and you can see beautiful enhancement, coronal view and coronal MIP. Look how beautiful this is. And again, as we use the CT as an angiography technique, that very bright blush, this was the cause of the patient's bleeding. Look how beautiful it is. Now, I think we tend to underestimate on the axial when you do the reconstructions, it's easier to see. Now, no talk about the acute abdomen GI manifestations would be complete without looking at intestinal ischemia and infarction, whether it's arterial or venous phase, CT is very good. Whether occlusion is due to atherosclerosis or emboli or venous thrombosis, we are very good. Now, the issue with bowel ischemia is detection can be somewhat tricky. If you think about the earliest signs are bowel dilatation and maybe bowel wall thickening, obviously at the end, 
you can have portal venous gas, intramural gas, but if you diagnose patients late in the game, the morbidity and mortality is super high. So what do we do? Well, we want to look at the vessels carefully, which means you've got to look at sagittal imaging. So here we can see plaque in both the celiac and SMA, but the vessels are patent. That's not so bad. But in this case, when I pick the right view, look at the SMA. You see the SMA is occluded? Here it is in the sagittal view. SMA occlusion and then reconstitution. Now, it's not uncommon for us to pick up a clot thrombus on the sagittal views that is missed on the axial views. If you get the axial view perfectly, like in this case, you'll see the clot, but it may not be a perfect visualization. And look how much easier it is to quantify the degree of stenosis on that patient's sagittal views or even on the coronal, but the sagittal is best for that. We talk about signs of ischemia. We look for vessel clot or occlusion. We look for vessel caliber. Look how small the celiac and SMA are in this case. This patient has poor flow. Look at the lack of enhancement to bowel. That patient has ischemic bowel. Or in this case, this looks like a non-contrast CT. Look how bad the bowel looks. It's just not enhancing. And in fact, when you go from the 3D to the coronals, almost looks like some pneumatosis. But when you look at the sagittals, now look what happens. See the celiac and SMA look great until a couple centimeters out, and the SMA is occluded. It's very, and here's the patient post removal of the thrombus a, couple, a week later. It's very important to remember that often you get confused because you're looking only at the SMA near its origin, looks good, you don't follow it. And you don't need to have plaque. This is an acute thrombus that's occluding the vessel. This patient was lucky because the bowel was not um, ischemic at the time of surgery and the patient did not need major resection. What about this case? Look at the SMA. It's beautiful till about 4 cm out. Then you see thrombus in the vessel. This patient's bowel is thickening. You're beginning to go toward ischemia. This uh, was uh, operated on. The thrombus was removed. The bowel looked pink after the thrombus was removed. The patient did great, but so easy to miss. And I've seen legal cases like this one. You look quickly, the SMA looks good, but look a little bit more distant. There's the thrombus. And again, if you look at the sagittals, look how nicely you see the thrombus. But look at the first 5CM. The vessel looks beautiful. So I think we train ourselves to look proximally, but you need to follow the vessel all the way down. And that indeed becomes very, very important. And you can see it nicely here. Now, I started with the slide at the beginning talking about should we do CT? I know we can. But this article, again, the Thrall article, talks about the importance of weighing the risks of radiation, weighing the cost of the exam. But when you looked at the numbers I showed you, when you look at the cases I showed you, when you look at the examples ranging from bowel obstruction to GI bleeding to ischemia and everything in between, CT is a study of choice in many cases of the acute abdomen. When used correctly, it plays a major role in patient management and in patient triage. We do have continued challenges in the acute setting at times. The optimal protocol is not used and it's somewhat tricky. So protocol is very important. Think about when you want to do dual phase imaging. Think about when you want to do arterial phase. But I think when you plan things out, things will indeed work out. Now with that, that's part two. And that's the second of two parts. So see you next time. Goodbye.